Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to My Second Self and I, where the voice in my head, Alex, we like to talk about some weird crimes. Welcome back. Thank you, everybody, for the new iTunes reviews and ratings, and I somehow have some people listening in Europe now. Germany, Sweden, and Norway listeners, let me know how this style of comedy translates over there. If it's not funny to you, drop a comment on the Facebook page and let me know why, and I'll try to make you laugh, too. Oh, and I can't forget, what does everyone think of the new artwork? Did that one myself using one of the Adobe plugins that I found, and I think it fits pretty well for what we do here. Let me know your thoughts on the Facebook page on that, too. And if I miss something or get it wrong here somewhere, let me know that, too. I'm by myself. It, sometimes it slips through the cracks, and I don't always catch it. If you haven't had a chance to go do that yet, the reviews, it's free, and it takes like eight seconds. You know, one failed mechanical bull ride, that's all the time it takes to make a stranger giggle like a little schoolgirl because a different stranger did something nice for me. So that would be super awesome of you. I hope everyone who had a chance to listen to last week's episode with Gino Camacho and, for some reason, Howard Cassell. If not, go back, and we'll see you in about an hour. I try to keep these a pretty reasonable length, but... I'm a little less concerned with runtime and would prefer to just focus on the story and just let it be what it is. Especially today, we have got a lot of um, really gross murders to cover today. Don't go away yet, Germany. This one's all about you today. From the years of 1918 to 1924, the city of Hanover, Germany, was just coming out of the First World War and just beginning a revolution to rebuild after the war. It's a comedy show, by the way. Hyperinflation and wartime sanctions put many German people in tight financial situations on top of a pretty unstable political and economic climate. And if that wasn't bad enough, the entire town was anxious and uncomfortable with the police presence and response to around 600 young boys and teens that had been reported as runaways, with more than a handful of them coming into contact with the subject of our story today. Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman the Vampire Butcher of Hanover. He would be found guilty of 24 murders of young men and boys from 1918 to 1924, though he claims to have killed a lot more than that. How was he able to do this? Like many serial killers, he was, by outward appearances, just an average, everyday, normal guy, who, by cover of darkness, would terrorize and horrify the entire town. He was meek, shy, had an average build, average height, no reason to look twice at him. Couple that with a close relationship with the thinning police forces, and you have a recipe for a serial killer's signature entree. This one is gross, also the longest timeline of a murder I've put together on the show, but I refuse to leave you hanging with a part two. I fucking hate cliffhangers. That's why I stopped watching so much anime. So let's just get into this episode today. Rise and shine for true crime comedy time. My second self and I. Well, uh, we talk about weird crimes. Going all the way back to 1879 today on October 25th. Just four days ago, but many, many years. Um, 140 years and four days ago. Neat. Quick math. That's probably wrong, though. I'm stoned. Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman was born the youngest of six. Oh, he's the baby, just like me. His mother, Johanna, though tiny and frail after having six children and health problems, Always doted on him. Little Fritz could do no wrong in her eyes. His father, on the other hand, I've seen him referred to as Sulky Ollie, which makes me laugh. He was a dickhead, and I'm also guessing he had some pretty sad boy days, too. Just judging by that nickname. Not surprising. 
everybody alive in 1879 was probably sad about something. Things sucked back then. Sulky Ollie liked to pretend he wasn't a sad sack of asshole by trying to put it in every woman that crossed his path. He was a notorious philanderer. If that didn't work, he'd just beat and scream at his poor wife, or sometimes young Fritz if he'd been playing with dolls again. Another dickhead abusive dad, surprise, surprise. Fritz didn't really like many of the same things other boys his age did. He'd rather just play with dolls, or wear his sister's clothes, or just basically not sports. I don't know what German girl children would do for fun, but whatever that is, that's what Fritz liked to do. Sulky Ollie, this might come as a shock to you on this show, he was super supportive. Whatever my boy wants, my boy gets. No, he actually hated it, like a lot. He said he was unable to accept the unnatural femininity that Fritz seemed to exude, likely due to his own warped view on masculinity. His mother must have also been blind or just maybe only saw what she wanted to see. The part of Fritz that hated his father was already starting to stir up some really menacing ways to pass the time. Oh yeah, what kind of menacing stuff? Sometimes while playing with his sisters, he would tie them up with rope or maybe some old clothes or whatever's lying around. He would just tie them up and leave them. He said he enjoyed watching them struggle to get out. That doesn't sound like it'd be fun to watch at all. And then other times, he would just go outside at night and start tapping on people's windows and houses. Dude, don't touch my house with your dirty street hands. Mein Gott, was die Fichen ist das? Wait a minute, isn't it cold in Germany at night? Uh, I don't know what time of year it is right now, but I, probably, I think so. Probably cold, way colder than here. It was actually pretty nice this weekend, remember? We made soup. He didn't do great away from home, either. At school, he was a quiet child, but not a particularly bright pupil. He'd rather just daydream about tying up his sisters or scaring the neighbors or maybe killing dad. Not sure on that last one, but they held him back a grade twice and also molested him at school when he was eight. Ew, what the fuck, teachers? I don't think that was a punishment, or I don't know, maybe it was. But that happened, and he didn't say too much about it, so anyone's guess is to the reason why and how that actually went down. Not that there's ever a reason to molest an eight-year-old. Or anyone, honestly. What this kid really needed was a healthy outlet for his emotions and somebody to talk to about it. But in late 19th century Germany, you didn't talk about emotions. We didn't even really know what they were then, and we seem to kind of struggle with that up until today, too. Talk it out, even if it's just to yourself. If you think you might need some help, talk to a specialist or a therapist. Do something. Try your best to make that happen. It'll it'll definitely help you. At, at the very least, try speaking out loud to yourself. Sometimes just hearing it out loud and in your own words can help you make sense of shit. Kind of like my co-host over there. How often do I really make sense off mic, though? Not often, which is also probably why we don't sleep well. Fritz didn't have an invisible co-host friend to talk to like I do. He grew tired of school, his teachers didn't bother disciplining him, and his mother saw him as just a perfect little cherub that could do no wrong. And dad beat the shit out of him whenever he was paying attention to his youngest son, so he couldn't even wear dresses and bras with his sister, so... He's so bored, he just wants something to fucking do. So it's 1894 now, he's 14. The puberty hormones are firing on all cylinders. He's confused, ashamed, frustrated and made to feel guilty for just liking the things that he likes, and he needed an escape. He asked his parents what to do. Maybe this was one of their more lucid days of parenting, and they actually gave him permission to quit school. Oh, you know what? They actually probably just didn't care. Never mind. 
Dad probably said something like, Oh, that little foo-foo dress-wearing pansy can do whatever he wants as long as he doesn't try to get me to do it. Or, you know, something insensitive and shitty sounding like that. But in German, I don't know what it would have been. I don't know why I gave him that voice. We're in Germany. And who knows with Mom. Well, if he tapped on a window to scare someone, then I guess angels must love Halloween because that's what he is. Yes, he is. That And again, I know that's not her voice. Why do I keep defaulting to redneck? We're in Germany. Whatever. Fritz quit school and apprenticed for a locksmith, but didn't like that much either, and dropped out to join the military in 1895. The German army at the time also had no age restrictions, which is weird, and that's why he joins when he's only 15. How would you feel about being on the battlefield and you look over and there's a f- way too old freshman fumbling around with his <laughs> rifle? I miss math homework. <laughs> like many people we've talked about on this show, he'd do pretty well in the army probably because there was so little structure to follow at home, thrived in a structured and goal-oriented environment, he became way more focused and he excelled while in the army. He became strong and lean. So supple. Except this is one funny detail, very odd, but other people would say that his voice sounded like an old woman's voice, like it was very soft and hoarse. Have you seen my luger? He didn't seem violent by his peers. In fact, he had a very pleasant demeanor. And that likely helped him avoid being sussed out for likely being a homosexual. Not long into his career, though, five months into military life, still 15, by the way, passed out while training and the doctors diagnosed him with a mild anxiety disorder, which was later on upgraded basically to epilepsy. There's a bit of a problem, though. Germany was not a wonderland of economic and social progress, and the field of psychology was still very new at the time. Fritz would end up having multiple different diagnoses from different doctors, and nobody knew what to do about them because nobody knew what they were yet. It wouldn't be until after World War I that people started taking mental health a little bit more seriously, but we'll probably never know with much certainty what Fritz actually had going on in his head. Fritz is now 16. He'd served only six months before being discharged and sent home. He goes back to Hanover and begrudgingly accepted an offered for work from Sulky Ollie to work in his cigar factory. Can you imagine that smell? Jesus. As much as he hated working there, he hated his father even more. So after work, he would just not go home. He began staying out later and later and later as he began to escalate his alone time. Joanna and Ollie didn't ask and probably wouldn't care what the answer was even if they did ask. What is he what is he staying out so late for? I mean, is, is there a lot of stuff to do out there at night? There's plenty to do if you're this guy, Fritz. You probably don't want to do what he does, though, and I'm going to request that you don't do it either. This is creepy. He liked to just lurk around in secluded areas, cellars, alleyways, dark corners of whatever building was nearby, just waiting for young boys to come walking by. And he would wait until they're alone. Hey, kid, come over here and let me show you something. He'd lure them closer and closer into dark corners full of shadows and begin grabbing them and touching them and eventually escalating to assault and sexual assault. Fritz did creeper stuff like this on the daily during his peak. Unfortunately, many victims didn't talk about the assault as it was taboo at the time to talk about it. Plus, there was a lot of shame and confusion about being rape victims, and they were so young they likely didn't understand what was happening or what to do or whom to talk to about it. Eventually, one of the victims does do something about it, and in 1896, he told his mom about the assault, and Fritz was arrested. Awesome. He spent several months in jail, but was released and arrested again the next year for the same thing, 
1897, the exact same thing. Not awesome. As soon as this guy has a free moment to not be supervised, he's absolutely going to try to touch kids. I feel weird saying this, but those missteps in his logic make sense. When I drank, that was kind of how my brain worked for approaching the bottle. I don't have to work today. No one's home. No one's going to find out. I can afford it. I'm going to have a good day. I don't think Fritz ever felt any remorse or shame for what he did. He's 17 now. Been in jail twice already for sexually assaulting children. So they figure there might be a crossed wire somewhere and send him over to a hospital in Hanover for a psych eval. Oh boy! A doctor there who has an awesome name, Gert Schmalfuss. I'm 100% that I spelled that wrong because I didn't look it up. Dr. Gert said Fritz was incurably deranged so he recommended Fritz be sent to a mental institution to be held indefinitely. Yeah, his brain's fucked. Lock him up, yeah. He ended up only being admitted for a few months, but he hated it way more than he hated Dad, so... So much so that he escaped from the mental asylum and bailed out to Switzerland with a little bit of financial help from Mom. What the fuck? How did he get out? Not sure. Mental health facilities at the time had very low standards for treatment, if you can even call it treatment. Patients were strapped down with leather bonds and just left there, and solitary confinement was seen as a humane way to deal with mentally disturbed patients. Don't know what actually caused his desire to escape. Probably a combination of all of those awful things, but whatever the root of it was, who knows. Something horrible like this, I'm pretty sure I'd try to break out of that too. Fuck that. Solitary's good for my health? Yeah, try saying that to a doctor today and see what they say. They do eventually catch him, though, and when they do catch him, he tells the authorities to just hang me. Do anything you like to me, but don't take me back to the loony bin. God damn, that place must have been awful. I just want to hug sulky Ollie. He didn't end up doing much in Switzerland. He worked as a handyman on the docks for about 16 months before giving up and going back to Hanover. Did the ships actually have barcodes on them? Don't you dare. I'm so tired of that old joke. Uh, all right. If, I mean, if that's how you feel. Wait. He just escaped from, like, a place. Aren't they looking for him in Hanover? Yeah, they were. But it's hard to find people under a false name. 20 years old now, moving right along. Likely due to a police oversight, how authorities missed his previous legal troubles and escape. No one even knew he had a record. However, this is reminiscent of a cool-down period that serial killers go through in my head a little bit. He appeared to be more stable began dating the, one of the neighbor's daughters, Erna Lowert, and the two got engaged after she became pregnant, but eventually aborted it. Fritz is beginning to get restless, though. There's no young boys to fondle in the house. I'm fucking out of here. Jesus, Fritz, calm down. Now he's 21. Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harmon is called up for mandatory military service. Left ASAP. Maybe there's a hot 15-year-old on base. His previously documented illness from his first time in the army was seen as a temporary condition, and since he hadn't had a blackout in four years since leaving the first time, they let him back in. He also probably wanted to avoid possible legal trouble. Fritz continued to assault young boys while in the army, but not as much, though. I bet it's a lot more difficult to get away with kid diddling when surrounded by almost Nazis. They're not yet, but by the end of this story they will be. He loved doing criminal underworld activities, though. Those are pretty easy to get away with, even in the army. Petty theft was fun and easy one for him to pull off. He was placed in a rifle battalion and deployed to the Alsace region of France, served a whole year there without incident, and he said that was the best time of his life. 
Loved it over there. Said he was an excellent soldier and marksman. Didn't last long, but it was long enough to bring us at least into the 20th century. October 1901, Fritz collapses during training again. Says he'd been having dizzy spells and no one knew why. Took four months to try to figure it out, but couldn't figure it out and no one knows why. He was prone to fits of weakness and mental deficiency. For most of it, he was delirious, unable to focus, rambled on with incoherent gibberish, transferred to the ward for nervous diseases after four months. Could not figure out what's going on with this guy. Hey, uh, is uh, is there a list this week? Huh? What? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I can just kind of do those on the fly, though. Why? I want to hear it in incoherent German Fritz babble. No, I can't even speak proper German, let alone authentic German gibberish. What are you, nuts? They do finally figure out. Remember his previous diagnosis from the first time in the army? Turns out it was actually dementia precox, which would later end up being schizophrenia, not the epileptic equivalency of whatever the fuck they said it was the first time. Doctors tell him, you're cured! Yeah, no he's not. No he's not. But not before causing permanent brain damage, and now Fritz is permanently invalided, which I didn't know was a word. Three different doctors would determine he was possibly epileptic, incurably deranged, and formerly schizophrenic. But with so many differing opinions on what was actually wrong with him and what to do with him, they were trying to just figure out how the fuck to ha- how do I handle this? Much of the diagnostic criteria for mental patients back then was kind of shaky. We don't really didn't know what we didn't know what anything was yet. Kind of still don't still working on figuring that out. I have some psychology stuff I'll get to later, but I'm not a psychologist and I don't want it to be put in the wrong spot so we'll do that at the end he's had a crazy fucking life up to this point how old is he the army discharges him for medical reasons again at the age of 22 and we're about to start getting into some shit here kind of starts ramping up the action whenever he gets back home let's do some cliff notes real quick born mom is sick dad's a dick let's put on a dress nah never mind let's tap on windows please teacher not my no-no square army time hey the ground looks nice dog no, not that either. Uh-oh, mental hospital. I hate it here. Let's go to Switzerland. Uh, too many boats. Let's go back home and roll cigars at Dad's factory. Dad's still a dick, but those boys have one, and I want to touch it. Actually, on second thought, let's do the army thing again. Maybe I was just rusty the first time, and they don't know I'm technically a fugitive. Oh, no, I broke my thank me. All right, fine. Well, maybe Dad's not a dick. Now let's go home third time's charm. Cliff, you're a genius. Finding himself in Hanover once again... Fritz returns to work at the cigar factory with Dad, and sulky Ollie's still a sad boy asshole, and they pick up their argument exactly where they last left off. Ollie says, you know what? I think you aren't really sick at all, and this is just an act because you want attention. In fact, let me call my lawyer. Wait, he's gonna sue him? Yep, but not just for malingering. He's suing Fritz with charges of blackmail and threats, but none of his other five kids wanted any part of it. And then Fritz attempts to counter-sue his debt, Hey, real-life brothers, can we just sue Dad this year for Christmas? Do you think that sounds like a good idea? How the hell do you end up at, let's sue Dad? No. Only one of them's going to hear this. He sues him for knowingly making false accusations, but again, his real-life brothers and sisters don't want any part of the countersuit either, so all the charges are dropped and nobody goes to jail. To my real-life brothers again, I mean, we could probably win, though. We could roll them. All right, never mind. No, Dad's cool. No need to litigate. Fritz also, after the lawsuits didn't work, 
threatened to just kill his dad or turn him in for a previous crime. Not sure there ever was one. Well, if suing doesn't work, killing is fine. He seemed to be doing okay with non-violence for a while. What happened? It was most likely a combination of different factors, in my opinion, that all contributed significantly. His mom died in April 1901 when he joins the army for the second time. Then he's forcibly removed from active service from the army and has no choice but to go back home to Sulky Ollie. And oh yeah, he's married to a real pain in the ass wife back at home, so she's being suff- so he's being suffocated by his marriage on top of that. Any and all of those things could have been the spark to reignite his rage. And even though the case was dropped, they order him to go another psych eval. So they send him back to see a specialist, see what's going on with his brain, and he sees a man who's the only name I've seen attributed to him is um. Dr. Andre. So Dr. Dre said, Fritz Harmon, you a base head. Uh-uh. Dr. Dre really said he was morally inferior, but not mentally unstable. Just barely enough to keep him out of another institution, so hooray! Somehow, after all this settles down, Fritz's relationship with his dad improves significantly. Oh boy, dad's cool now. To the point, Sulky Ollie even lent him some money to open up a fishmongery shop. That's fun to say, but his wife was really the one that ran it. He ended up getting a job as a salesman, but quit shortly afterwards. There were probably no underage boys to look at or parents to sue. Then he gets a letter. We just got a letter from the German army. A clue, a clue. I don't know. Telling him he's medically unfit to work anywhere in Germany. And also, because of that, a slight increase in his pension. Then his wife leaves him. Oh, surprise. She became pregnant again, but you know what? I'm not sticking around this time. Screw you, vampire fuckboy. I'm out of here. Fritz doesn't care, though. He's got young boys to assault. He's starting to get super bad and gross. And he only really talks to her when she needs money anyway, so he's probably thinking, you know what, fuck her. I don't care. Go away. Fritz publicly accuses her of having an affair, but she's an upstanding, humble fishmonger, so you're not going to talk to me like that in my own house, and kicks him out. Now all he has is his pension and not much else to do, so he just starts hanging out in super seedy places. And he'll spend the next 10 years in and out of jail for burglaries and assault, petty theft, little stuff here and there. And by my calculations, we're about a third of the way done with this story today. We've got a lot more to get through, so hang on tight. From the years of 1905-1913, Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman, sometimes I just want to say the whole thing, he's fired for repeatedly stealing from his bosses and customers. He held a few jobs here and there, but never for very long. Then he meets a woman named Frau Gulisch, and I can't believe I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. It just dawned on me how weird this is. Guess what they like to do? Steal cars? No. Steal food? No, one more guess. What's the creepiest thing you can think of? Oh, robbing graves. Ding, ding, ding! They like to rob graves together. With her ten-year-old. What the fuck? Really? How'd they get a 10-year-old in on this? They would also break into apartments and stole pieces of tombstones. What the fuck? He is arrested for stealing paint, but never caught for grave robbing somehow. Now he's angry and alone. He acts mainly on impulse. He has fallen out of contact with most of his family. Life for Harmon has become an endless cycle of catch and release, arrest and release. In jail, out of jail. In jail, out of jail. Now it's 1913. Harmon is 33 years old. Me too. I see him in my head. I see him as mu- just always being much older than 33. If you look at him, he looks like he's not 33. 
I mean, I can barely manage to get all the little hairs on the back of my neck shaved. I don't know how, at 33, he's able to find time for so much crime. I mean, I guess he's bad at it, though, so maybe that's why he's just he needs the practice to try to get better, but he is bad at crime for now. He gets, unfortunately, kind of good at it. Now it's time for, up to now, his longest prison sentence, five whole years. He's arrested for stolen property and a string of burglaries that he'd been committing. He'd been living on the fringes of society for nearly a decade, just doing shady shit. Even still, jail time wasn't too easy on him. He hated it in jail. Fritz accepted the sentence and remained calm and cooperative. He worked on the grounds as a laborer on manor homes around the prison. If you're following along, we're somewhere in the ranges of 1913 and 1918. What's just about to happen in the world? Oh, I actually know this one. WW1. Hey, good for you. Though not technically until July 28th of the next year from where we are. Fritz was pretty upset that they wouldn't allow him to join the war effort since, you know, jail. I feel like I read somewhere that they used to be able to do that, like draft prisoners, but I don't remember where or what the context was for that, but I feel like I thought that used to be a thing. The owners of the manor houses that had been working on, that he'd been working on, knew about his previous arrest in jail time. Didn't care, though. They liked him well enough. He said he's a nice guy. They even tried to have him released early. There it is again. While he's in prison, he's perfectly fine. No anger, kid touching, none of that stuff. But once, as soon as he gets out. But even with the good word from the manor folk, he served out the entirety of his sentence until 1918, seven months before the end of the war, and he's released. Alright, I'm finally out of prison now. I'm going back to Hanover, but I've learned my lesson trying to be civil with Dad, so I'm staying with my sister instead, just until I figure out a new living arrangement. Didn't take him long to figure out, so he moved into a small apartment in August in 1918 in Hanover and immediately goes back to young boy touch time the moment he has nobody to watch what he's doing. Fritz started to troll around for potential victims down at the Hanover train station, soliciting male sex workers looking for young males and runaways or boys traveling alone. He would promise them a place to stay or a warm meal for the night, and then once they get inside, he'll lock the door and starts sexually assaulting them. He earned a lot of his money from buying and selling stolen property as well as his small pension from the army. Whatever he could get his hands on. Sugar, cigarettes, chocolate, pens, paper. Simple shit was super hard to find after the war, so wherever there's a market for it, there's a mark to be made. Fritz had gotten pretty good at avoiding detection from the police, but he still had to keep an eye out just in case. Then he gets an idea. The cops had limited resources, too. War-torn post-World War I Germany was a goddamn nightmare for the economy, so Fritsch forged a relationship with the cops as an informant. They saw his usefulness as a likable person and used him to conduct sting operations. Fritz would buy stolen goods from criminals and then pass the identity on to the police. Police would then raid the apartment, get all the stuff back, and arrest everybody, including Fritz, so that he would avoid suspicion, and then do it all over again. So now the police trust him, which is great for him. Not so great for the teenage boy population. He could prowl around wherever and whenever he wanted without drawing suspicion from the police, and any of the station employees never questioned it when he would just leave with young boys in the middle of the night. They saw it as just another officer they could count on to be at the train station to watch over stuff. Like all serial killers, Fritz gradually grew more and more ballsy. 
As his methods evolved and escalated, and the police looked at him less and less, his confidence soaring, plus police protection and easy access to victims, motive means opportunity, boom, bam, all right there. His impulses are at the breaking point. Dude, what are you doing? Fucking turn on Shut the thing. Shut up. I'm getting it. Damn. Just turn it on. I found it. Shut up. Hear that? Fans of the show will know what that means. That'll bring us to September 1918, when Fritz is just 39 years old. He's trolling around near the station, doing his thing, when he meets 17-year-old Friedel Rota in a cafe. Rota, like many after the war, had ran away from home, or wherever home was for him, and he needed a warm bed for the night. Fritz also used a false name and said he was a detective with the police department and that he could help. And he always did that. That's what he would do to get these boys to come home with him. He found what worked, and he stuck to it. My name is Detective Hunter Brock, I think it is, later. Probably the same name throughout all of these. What do you need? Come with me, I can give you a place to stay, we can figure it out in the morning. That's what he would always do. So the two began getting acquainted with one another. Rota even introduced Harmon to his school friends. And that gave Fritz, you know, just, it gave him such a wonderful idea. He said, guys, look. What if I took everybody into the woods over yonder, I have some presents for you, and if you're lucky, I might just seduce you. What do you think? Yeah? Alright, let's go. Why would a group of teenagers allow a strange cop to seduce them in the woods? Man, I don't know. That's a weird one. I guess we don't know what his definition of seduce means, or what the presents were. I don't know what to do with that one. I guess Rota was at least kinda into it, though. Maybe his friends were, too. That whole thing is just so strange to me. I don't know. I say that because many times they would go back to his apartment to smoke weed and have fun, which I think is probably sex. Then one night, a few days later, they smoked a fat bowl, or probably a joint back then, probably didn't have a pipe, and they just talked about some stuff. Sitting around, smoking a good bowl of skunks, talking about life, man, that's a good night. That's why this show exists. It's what we're doing right now, and I'm having a great time. You having a good time today? Dude, what about, like, aliens, man? Dude, look at any news organization and tell me aliens are coming here to see what we got going on. Fucking come on, dude. They don't want to fucking deal with us right now. Look at look at the last two years and tell me aliens want to come down here. Uh-uh. Anyway, as the night progressed... Hit the button. Fritz grew more and more aggressive, and Roto was becoming more and more uncomfortable. Dude, get away from me. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not stoned anymore, and I want to go home. This sucks! Fritz didn't like that. He got angry, grabbed him, forcibly sodomized this poor kid, and buckle up right here. Don't bother skipping, because there's a lot of these. Then, after raping this poor child, Fritz bares his teeth and bit down on his throat oh and God. ripped out his Adam's apple, oh my and God. Rota no, died no, of no. asphyxiation. What the fuck? He ripped out his windpipe? Sexually assaulting Rota awakened something in him that he just couldn't control anymore, and from that point on, there's no turning back. Yeah, there wouldn't be. Jesus fuck. Most of the psychology stuff will do at the end, but Fritz is what they end up calling an erotophonophile, or a lust murderer. These individuals can receive an intense sexual satisfaction from killing. In normal language, he can't come unless he rips someone's throat out and they die, which is super, super fucked up. 
Many times, erotophonophiles are typically timid and introverted, and then they let loose during sex, which is exactly Fritz. He would fidget constantly, pulling at his skin, running his fingers through his hair, picking at the little hairs on his beard, scratching the back of his head, tapping his feet, tapping his legs. He craved attention, struggled to relax in the presence of others. Sexual sadists often have intense desires that they work to repress, but in Harmon's case, he likely couldn't separate his emotions while having sex with Rota, and it he couldn't just is let loose so what do you do after that drink some coffee yeah you drank some coffee i guess that's what you do i don't know drank some coffee covered roto with a cloth and cut him open then he carefully removed his skin decapitated the body broke the bones stashed him in a suitcase and then took several different nightly trips to the cemetery to bury different parts of him but oh yeah he kept the rest of the bits behind the stove I think it was his Why head, Eucharist. Rota was the only murder victim known to have been buried. And this is interesting. Fritz said that the dismemberment was the part of this that grossed him out. Not gnawing on a child's larynx. Don't forget, though, this kid had a few friends that noticed he hadn't been around for a couple days, and they reported him missing. They told the police he was last seen with Harmon, but the police thought these are vagrants and runaways. Get these dirty street urchins away from me. They, We don't care. We're understaffed. They're probably just runaways. Who cares? So the boys decide we're going to go investigate on their own, and they track Fritz down to his apartment somehow, and they tell the police. Still can't be bothered to investigate, especially one of their most trusted informants. It takes until Rota's family putting a lot of intense pressure on them to go find my fucking kid that they drag the police over to Fritz's place themselves. Fritz's Place, the only known supplier of Adam's famous apple juice in all Germany. Also tea cakes. Inside, the police found old Harmon with a half-naked 13-year-old boy. What the fuck? What's going on here, sir? Oh, nothing, officers. I promise it's all consensual. Not with a 13-year-old, it's not. Yeah, they don't really buy it or care, and he's arrested. They charge him with sexual assault and battery of a minor. This right here, also, this right here, they could have very easily taken this guy out right then and there. Not kill, but if they had bothered to search his apartment and actually do their jobs, they would have likely discovered that Fritz still had Rota's severed head behind the stove wrapped in newspaper. How did the smell not he kept the throw whole them fucking off? Head. Did it just everything smell horrible back then in Germany? Did it stink then, Germany? This is just a few weeks after the murder, too. Jesus, this place must have smelled awful. <laughs> I'm kind of seeing Joe's apartment in my head. Oh yeah, we tried to watch that a few days ago, didn't we? We did, and we shouldn't have. It uh, It didn't age well. Either that or we weren't stoned enough. Either way, that's 20 minutes we'll never get back. Let's get back to the story. Love is in the air, everybody. Fritz is smitten. He's finally found the one. Remember a few weeks ago when two skinheads fell in love? Serial killers can fall in love, too. Another amazing example of there's somebody for everyone. And by amazing, I mean in terms of how disgusting these two are. They're just amazingly disgusting. So who's the lucky lady, huh? A beautiful, tall, handsome, athletic, broad-shouldered woman with a beard named Hans Granz. Just kidding, Hans is a man, and I have no clue what he looks like. He really enjoys being a German male prostitute, though. He enjoyed it for maybe a week, at least, until he stopped enjoying it, because I'm positive the sex worker market in 1920s Germany was awful. So he's a runaway sleeping on the streets when he meets our friend Fritz. Desperate for money, he approached Fritz at the station one night. I guess 
I guess the two had a lot in common, apart from what we'll find out later, and they really hit it off, fell in love with each other, and that was that. Alright, I found him. Now how do I keep him and also keep doing what I love? Fritz later would say about Hans Granz that he was like a son to him and that he'd saved him from the ditch. I gotta be honest with you, their relationship is sort of confusing. They may have been lovers or maybe like a father-son thing, I'm not 100% sure. Either way, the two eventually move in together into the home of a widow named Frau Bernstiel. For about six months as they progressed through the honeymoon phase, things were kind of up and down. They'd had lots of, lots of loud arguments, fighting. One of them would get kicked out, and then the other one would come back the next day and make up. Because I've known so many couples like this. And then one day, I don't know any of you that have done this, one day Fritz hauls off and just decks the landlady in the face. Bam! So she calls the cops, and then he finally serves his sentence for that 13-year-old back in line at Fritz's place a while back. Did he ever get his juice? How do you, how do you end up at punch landlady in the face? What did... <laughs> I don't know. Nine months later, Fritz is released from jail, and he begins working on reestablishing his relationship with the police as an informant, and slowly starts to regain their trust. Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman, now 42, and Hans Granz, only 19 moved into a small ground-floor apartment near the Lion River. Mostly, everything was fairly quiet over the next year or so. No legal troubles, no kid-touching, none of that shit. Fritz and Granz fought constantly, though. There was a seriously unbalanced, codependent type of relationship going on with these two. Fritz was in love with Granz, but Granz treated him like shit, though. Sometimes, he'd shower Fritz with love and kisses, and other times, he would be super manipulative. Oh, yeah, ich liebe dich mucho. Now give me money for cigarettes, you ugly fat idiot with no job. Told you I'm out of beer, dude, what the fuck? Fritz kicked him out multiple times, in between the vicious and violent arguments. However, Fritz would always beg him to come back. He just had to have the validation Grons provided. Some, he had to have someone that I meant everything to. Yeah, that's creepy, coming from this guy anyway. I'm not certain why, but the next six months for Fritz would be spent in a labor camp almost immediately getting settled into their new apartment. I wonder what he did. I don't think I need to wonder what he did, actually. If that wasn't bad enough, when he got back, Fritz goes home to his apartment, and the place had been turned upside down and all his valuables stolen by Hans Granz. Maybe he was looking for juice? Oh yeah, and also every penny of his pension money was gone, too. Hans Granz took all of it. Probably retaliation for something. Fine, fuck you. You want to kick me out? I'm taking all your shit. Fritz obviously not happy, and he kicks him out. So, later, Hans Granz comes back with another friend and took the rest of the stuff. Fuck you again. They can't see your middle finger. Now we get to the second of Harmon's murders, though he was never charged for this one. Another young boy, Hans Kemus, he's only 17. And this one, I think, was retaliation for Hans Granz pilfering all of his stuff a few days ago. Fritz, I'm guessing, met the tinier Hans Kemus at the train station and went through his normal spiel. I'm a cop, I can help, I have a warm bed and food if you'd like to get out of the cold. Then back to Fritz's place for some famous juice. He also offered their parents help, I wonder what he told the parents. He said he was a cop, and I think I know who did it. It was Big Hans Granz, Hans Grande! Granz was arrested, but quickly released because he couldn't have done it. He was already in custody for some other thing whenever Fritz had killed Chemist, so it couldn't have been the Grande Hans. Two months later, police found Tiny Hans, Hans Chemist, his naked body was found tied up in the canal with a monogrammed handkerchief that had belonged to Hans Granz in his throat. 
Fritz probably murdered him and tried to frame Hansgrans for taking all of his stuff. This was Fritz's second kill, and the trigger for this murder is just as scary as the murder itself. What if everyone who was the victim of robbery turned around and raped 17-year-olds and ripped their throats out with teeth? To frame his lover, no less. Yeah, I love you. Now look at this corpse. Wait, hold on. Did he just do this for attention? Oh, you might be onto something there. You had to have known Hansgrans was already in custody. They lived together. Jesus. Either shower me with affections or I'll masticate a street urchin's windpipe into asphyxiation. Dude, what the fuck, man? Here's the fucked up thing, though, apart from everything else. It worked. The police trusted Fritz and he had no physical evidence to charge him with, so they let him go. What the fuck? His boyfriend's initials were in his throat. Really quickly, this story has so many parallels to the one I'm going to do next, the bonus episode that I'm doing tomorrow. It is so eerily similar how they're going to stack up when next to each other. You'll you'll see. You'll all see. Hey, also, how hasn't he been caught? Where did the head behind the stove and the other kid's body go? Well, we'll get to that. We're almost there, but he's just getting started with his spree. Now it's been five years since the first murder, and four years since moving in with Hanskrauts. The next victim is the second confirmed. God damn it, here we have another Fritz. Fritz Franca. 17-year-old pianist. I guess he'll just be Franca. There's a lot of the same name in this, by the way. It gets strange. I'm trying to have fun with all the same exact names. Harmon was trolling the station looking for victims whenever he meets Franca. Harmon took him back along with Hansgrans and two of Hansgrans' female friends. He liked both, I think. After Hansgrans and the ladies left, Harmon killed him by biting through his Adam's apple. Again, Franca. This is messed up, too. According to Harmon, Hansgrans saw him standing over Franca's nude body and said, When should I come back again? The women saw two and went straight to the cops. Just by chance, they talked to Harmon's police handler, Mueller, and he ordered a search of the apartment but couldn't find anything. He also probably was influenced a little bit by his relationship with Harmon. It's not uncommon for serial killers to have an accomplice either, or accomplices. Dean Coral, the Hillside Stranglers, Grigsby and Peterson last week. I think Gacy may have had a helper. Paul Bernardo recruited Carla Homolka. That one's really gross. I don't know if I want to do that one. Often, though, the dominant person needs the other person's loyalty and validation. I think it's sort of this. I think it makes it makes sense to them. I think it makes it make sense to them. If I can do this, and that person still wants to be around, maybe what I did isn't that bad? And the police never expected what he was capable of. On top of a wild goose chase, he's doing some pretty gruesome stuff. How much more gruesome can you get after this story so far? Oh, there's a way. After the Franca murder, Harmon becomes a butcher of low-grade meat and as often and often has other contraband that he sells. Sausages and steaks and wieners and whatever other protein he could scrape together. He would often leave his apartment with meat, but never brought it back to his apartment. I don't like your use of the word protein there. Alright, home stretch. This is where the real madness starts. March 1923. 44-year-old Fritz Harmon was happy living with his 22-year-old lover and accomplice, Hanskrantz. Just barely a month before this was whenever he bit through the throat of 17-year-old Fritz Franke. Fritz Harmon was smart, though, and very cautious. He was also afraid of being caught, but he knew he'd never do it, but he knew he would do it again. Lucky for him, he's still an informant, and that comes with it a good bit of protection from the already thinly spread police force in the city. In 1923, there were about 600 missing teenage boys, 
or otherwise reported missing. Post-war Germany sucked big time for basically everybody, so kids would run away all the time trying to find better conditions or living situations. Most of the time, though, they'd end up being either abducted or sold off to go fight in the French Foreign Legion. Fritz has already proven that he's a vicious monster with little to no regard for human life, and his confidence in himself and not being caught by the police only served to fuel his bloodlust. Now we have the next victim, another young boy by the name of Wilhelm Schiltze. Fritz nabs him from the Hanover Station in 1923, just a month after Franz, Fritz Franke. Same as before, he's got his solid routine for this. Trolled the station, posing as a cop, searching for vulnerable boys. Schultze fit the profile, he was a young runaway and an easy target. So he impersonates a cop, Detective Hunter Brock, yeah. Listen to his troubles. I have a bed if you need to sleep, and I can feed you so you can eat just like Franca. Fritz leads him to a small but meticulously tidy apartment, and after almost getting busted for Franca, Fritz scrubbed the apartment obsessively. His neighbors complained about the smell because of all the harsh chemicals he used to keep it clean, and he'd also explained to the landlord ahead of time, smart, and she didn't mind tenants keeping their spaces clean and tidy. Harmon was charming, of course, like most serial killers. His pleasant, friendly manner made people comfortable, made it seem like he could be easily trusted. And he always asked about the family, too, which generally helps. That's a super reasonable question from a cop. Fritz needed to know if anyone would come looking for the boys, and that was a great way to do it. If no one was ever expected to come looking for them, he felt safe to do whatever he wanted to do to them. Kind of like Arthur Shawcross and all the sex workers that he strangled. But he didn't always feel the urge to kill, though. Sometimes he'd keep them around as errand boys, just have them do small jobs or chores for food till they stopped coming back. Or sometimes he would just rape them and not kill them. He was a weird guy. Wilhelm Schultze was not so lucky, though. His line of questioning posing as a cop told Fritz no one's coming to look for him, and it's the exact same thing as before. Rape, Adam's apple ripped out again, disposal. How does he do that? Well, they never found the remains. I'm guessing he dismembered them afterwards, like with Rota. He claimed he dumped pieces in the liner river, like with most of them. And now it's a daily routine, much like the stolen merch he'd peddle on the streets. An Adam's apple a day? I'm not sure that's what doctors meant. He also bartered lower rent by trading Schultz's clothes to the landlady. Well, that's just rude. Hans Kranz was also living with him sporadically throughout the series of upcoming murders, but he also had other lovers so Hans Kranz would only stay with them on nights when Fritz was busy at the apartment. Harmon preferred to do things alone anyway, and after Schultze, he killed at least two more, Roland Hook and Hans Sonnenfeld over the next eight weeks. And he thinks I'm not going to get caught because I'm a cool cop guy, I'm an informant, yeah, I can do whatever I want. See, serial killers, see, they get better with experience, and usually get more emboldened and cocky. Yeah, they'll never catch me. Yeah. Damn it, I hope they catch him soon. Not soon enough, unfortunately. Roland Hook, Huck, H-U-U-K, Hook, I'm not sure. He was running away to join the Marines, and it's the same scenario. Meets Fritz at the station, poses as a cop, gets him back to the apartment, rape, rip, reap. Oh, damn it, I forgot about this. This is kind of heartbreaking. His last words to his friends, Roland Hook, his last words before leaving with Fritz were, Give my parents my love, I'm going away. His parents, too, filed a missing persons report, but again, police brushed it off. Another runaway. We have too many other missing kids to worry about. Throw it on the pile. Next is Hans Sonnenfeld. Germany, there are other names than fucking Hans and Fritz. Come on now. 
I know this was like 80 years ago. No, 100 years ago. I'm stupid. But come on. Hans and Fritz, there's other names. This Hans was a teensy bit different. There was a short courtship involved, and he would give him lots of little gifts and elaborate meals. This Hans even told his sister one time, I have a boyfriend, and we're gonna get married. No, you're not. One night, he got into an argument with his parents, probably right after that, or because of it, I'm not sure. Then he goes off to hang out with Fritz for the night, and this is when it goes exactly how it always goes. A few weeks later, Fritz tried again with a new boy, but this boy escaped. Fuck yeah, run straight to the nearest cop. And never told anyone. God damn it. He was wary from the very beginning, though, and kept a close eye on Harmon. Fritz threatened to arrest him for loitering if he didn't come back with him, but he fights, boom bam, and got away running down the street. But they never found the poor boy, and he just never said anything about it to anybody. June 1923. Three more boys would fall victim to Fritz. Didn't he have neighbors? Don't they think this is odd? What he's doing? Oh yeah, they definitely do. Many of his neighbors were super sus of the odd hours he kept and the parade of young boys that would come and go. Plus, Hans Grunz is a pain in the ass neighbor. He's depressing and weird. They're probably like that couple in your apartment complex that you ignore and avoid. A lot of his neighbors thought he sold kids to the Foreign Legion. That would be almost preferable though compared to what he actually did. That's not nearly as bad, I think. Harmon also begins to sell low-grade meat and... He always cut it into small bits and was very, very boneless. Ew, that's... I don't want to think about that one. If you missed it earlier, bears repeating, hyperinflated Germany sucked in a big way for everybody. I remember reading one time that a loaf of bread in post-World War Germany would cost so much that people would take literal wheelbarrows full of cash to the food line to trade it for a loaf of bread. One. Singular. So when Fritz starts selling meat, all the people in town think, Holy shit, you see that over there? He's got brats, cheap protein, woo! But remember I told you earlier, Fritz rarely arrived home with meat, but did leave with it. <laughs> Guys, if you could see the look on Alex's face right now, it's like he's trying to figure out how the pyramid fits inside the circle. Did he sell children as food? No, I'll spare you from the buildup on this one. After this is all done, scientists, or somebody in a lab coat, ran some tests and they determined it wasn't human meat. They don't know what it was, but it wasn't, it was not ground up children, at least. He said it was pork when they asked him, which is ironic because I've heard that's what pork tastes the closest to human flesh. What I've heard. Where the fuck did you hear that? Silence of the Lambs, dude, really? Also, I think Babish made something one time and he mentioned it, I think. Anyway, the landlady got sick after eating some sausages and that were made from sheep intestines. That's whenever he told her that they were made from pork. And one day, a different butcher shop owner just came out and asked him, Hey, dude, um, where'd you get the meat? Says, oh, I got it from another butcher. Another butcher named Carl? Why did you say it like that? Because there's another serial killer in Germany whom I think is active at this same time, Carl Denke. Definitely not the same guy, though. He was closer to Poland rather than here in Hanover, but spelled the same, so... I thought for a second it might have been the same guy, but it's not. Alright, come on. No, really. Where did you get the meat, Fritz? Oh, uh, you know, di different places. Maybe Ronnenberg or the Hanover Market Hall. Uh, hey, I know that lady. I gotta go. Goodbye. And then he panics and bolted and never returned. He pretended that he saw a lady that he knew and ran away not suspicious at all. Yeah, no, that's super normal behavior. So the suspicious butcher shop owner followed him one night as Fritz was hug 
lugging a large sack to the river. I wrote hugging a large sack. Now I'm just thinking of he's like bear hugging a giant duffel bag full of body parts just walking down the street like that like it's a like it's a baby. That's more fun for me. I'm just going to imagine that. And he's like stumbling, falling over. He can't figure out how to keep his balance because it's shifting the weight around inside there. And it's just like he's rocking back and forth trying to get it over there without dropping it. So he wa- the store owner watches him do that, take it over to the river. He couldn't quite figure out what was in there, but he watched him as he dumped it out. The next day he goes to the cops. Police were skeptical, of course. That's our friend. He's not going to do anything suspicious. But we're going to go to his place again and look around and didn't find anything either. Sorry. So he gets away again. All right. Fuck it. The fuzz is on to me. Time to move away again. Fritz decides to pack up and move into a new attic apartment with Hans Grantz in June of 1923. This will throw the neighbors off my trail, but it's not going to do much to keep me from killing. Fritz is a weird guy. Fritz is also now 44. He, after settling in, he meets the 13-year-old son of one of his neighbors, Ernst Ehrenberg. Hey, there's a different name. He meets him two weeks after moving in. He nabs the boy, takes him back into his apartment, killed him, ripped his throat out. The whole same thing. Oh yeah, you'll hate this, because I hate it too. I don't have a lot of room in my head for hate, but this one... I'll throw it out there. He called this his love bite. Ew. And it is now a dominating factor in his life. Holy shit. That's also a super risky move. That's your neighbor's kid and you talk to them. What the hell? This kind of behavior can be weirdly addicting, I guess. There were several years between the first and second known victims, but now it's up to about once a month. Everybody walking the street was a potential target. Well, if they were young boys, they were a potential target. Maybe not older men so much. Seriously, dude, how has he gotten away with this for so long? Predators, man. They have this weird sense for how to do things. It's like the intuition. It's like how you can look at an instrument and figure it out in five minutes. Remember the first time we picked up the kalimba and you just got it? How the hell did you do that? Yeah, but it shouldn't be as easy for him to do that as picking up a kalimba and just figuring it out. Exactly like last week, we talked about this last week, they start to get impulsive and disorganized as time goes on, too. He's already kind of starting to get sloppy already. He'd snitch on other thieves to avoid detection and among the police. His new neighbors hadn't quite known him long enough to suspect him of anything yet either, except for that one family. He's feeling super confident and arrogant, which means he's about to fuck up bad. Two months following Erst Ehrenberg, Harmon picks up three more boys from the Hanover station. Heinrich Struess, Paul Bronischewski, and Richard Graef. He did his thing, charmed every last one of them the same way, and they were all wanting away from shit homes, yada yada yada, made them all the same promises, they all met the same fate, raped, murdered, likely dismembered, and dumped in the river, and he kept all of their stuff too. He kept a violin case, a coat, a hand-tailored suit. He would keep all their stuff and sell it off and pilfer it out or keep it for a trophy. And then two months later, in October, he stopped a Wilhelm Erdner. And this time, we do know that he gave out the name. It is Detective Honorbrock, and he arrested this Wilhelm on forged documents. Harmon then forces him back into the apartment where he does his thing, he kills him. But a local man saw this and told the cops. Cops told them, Detective Honorbrock doesn't exist, go away, and then never followed up on the crime. So, that's probably just the name he always used. 
And then two weeks later, 13-year-old Heinz Brinkman is visiting his brother in the army when Harmon meets him late one night at the train station and then does his thing again. This is still 1923, by the way. Hans Grant stayed with him, but claimed to not know anything of the 12 victims that he had just claimed, except they were always together, so Hans Grantz is a lying piece of shit too, probably. November, the two are seen together chatting with a 17-year-old, Adolf Hanapel, at the train station, and they took him over to the cafe. The next day, Harmon says he came home to find Hans Grantz and his friend standing over Hanapel's body with his friend, or maybe other lover, Hugo Witkowski. Hans Grantz laid the corpse on Harmon's bed, didn't say what happened, but just looked at Harmon and said, One of yours. Which translates in creepy bisexual German murderer code language to Get rid of this body like you were the one who killed him. Not the only murderer in the house. Cool. Rumors around town now is that a werewolf is preying on young men. January 5th, 1924 would get him his 15th total and his first of the year at only 45 years old. Ernst Speaker, another Ernst, I give up with these names. Fritz wasn't good with names, probably because they're all the same goddamn name multiple times. But he remembered the clothes of all these boys, which that's what he kept as trophies. Trophies represent power over that individual, and it preserves the memory of the victim. Like this unfortunate fellow, Fritz Wittig. There's another one. Were they just too poor to afford a different name? Telling you, dude, it's so weird. Grants liked his suit, so Harmon got it for him. He's not done yet, though, and he also nabbed Friedrich Obling that day, whom was only 10 years old. And the town is terrified. Headlines about missing kids and murders have everybody shaking. May 1924. Two children found a human skull floating in the river after skipping school one day. Police figured out it belonged to a male between 18 and 24, had knife wounds, but the cops didn't really care and they didn't take it seriously anyway. Two kids found a skull that had been carved up with a knife in the water, and you, uh, they found a skull, and you don't jump up and go, where did it come from? Really? Most likely answer to them, there's either some shifty grave robbers are pranking us, or maybe the medical school nearby is having a goof at our expense. Ha ha ha, very funny guys. Then two weeks later, two boys found a sack full of bones, and the cops still don't care. They've still got... We've got other stuff to worry about. What is more important than a sack of bones? Seriously, get it together. 13 boys over the course of 1924, and that would end up at 24 victims in total. June 14th, 17-year-old Eric Devries met Fritz after he went out for a swim. Fritz promised him cigarettes, took him back to his apartment, did his thing then made multiple trips to the Harenhausen Gardens to dispose of the body, this time taking four trips to complete the job. The police response to all these missing boys and runaways is pretty frustrating for the residents by now. We have found hundreds of human bones, violently cut or broken. Dudes, go do your jobs! What the hell are you doing over there, you dumb fucks? We found a sack full of body parts and you're not going to investigate? Fucking what the hell? The police finally get off their ass and go drag the river, and they found around 500 more fragments, but they didn't really have any leads. Harmon lived near there, had a history, and they noticed that he does seem a little bit odd. He's also got a direct connection to a ton of these missing person cases over the last two years. Are the cops' eyes narrowing now? Almost. They're still slow to suspect, but he's 
you know, he's such an amiable, simple guy that he can't possibly be the werewolf. But they decide to tell him just in case. They bring in two younger cops from Berlin, and they were posing as vagrants at the train station when they spotted him with another 15-year-old boy in 1924, Karl Fromm. Another runaway Harmon took in a few days prior. Those two start arguing, so Fritz takes him over to some local real cops and accused him of having forged papers. Officers arrested him, and Fritz left alone. I wonder if he knew that those two were watching him. I don't know. Fromm did have a lot to say, though. This kid's a hero, for all I'm concerned with. Fromm said Fritz had abused and raped him for four days while he was staying there. Fromm also claimed Fritz held a knife to his throat, saying creepy shit like, Are you afraid to die? And Fromm would just start crying. And then Fritz would come say, Just relax, it's a joke, but I got my eye on you. It's a not a joke. That's a messed up joke. Don't do that. Ew, I don't like that. I don't like this guy. So now they finally got enough. And they arrest Fritz the next day. They finally got him. It's about time. Summer of 1924, he is arrested on suspicion of a string of murders starting from around 1918. And any time they would ask him about any of these murders, he would be very dismissive and frustrated. He's been invincible for so long, he's not too easily intimidated. A thorough search of his apartment found that his floor and bed had been soaked in blood. There's, he said, no, that's just from my meat trade with Carl. No, it isn't. Shut up, you liar. He spends about a week in jail, gets interrogated, deprived of sleep and food. Good, fuck him. Meanwhile, the cops found all his creepy trophies and put them on view at the station, many of which were identified by loved ones and relatives, which is super sad. He lied and just said that he found him while trading on the black market. Most damning, though, was when they found the suit that had belonged to Fritz Wittig. They found that on June 29, 1944, and they found his skull just the month before that. A friend of Wittig said they saw him talking with Harmon a few days before he went missing. So now we can prove he has clothes that belong to one of the victims. Also, the landlady saw him destroying identifying markers on the jacket before he gave it to her. Harmon confessed to all of his murders, with all with poorly worded explanations and excuses said he couldn't control himself and in the heat of rabid sexual passion, said he couldn't control himself in the heat of rabid sexual passion. He was also careful to only name victims that police had already linked to him. He didn't want to further incriminate himself. And this is amazing. Only a quarter of the 400 articles of clothing found in the apartment were connected to missing persons. So only about a hundred of them were from missing things. Which also seems like a bigger number than it should be. That... Where the hell else is... What all did he take and where... What... How... How much shit did he take? What all was that? And that had to take up a lot of, like, volume in that apartment. It can't have been that much. That'd probably take a lot of space up in there. Fritz also tells the cops, there's some that you don't know about, but it's not those that you might think it is. He thinks that his total might have ended up being somewhere between 50 and 70, but he doesn't remember all of them. It's also not uncommon for serial killers to inflate their totals. Why do they do that? Well, they enjoyed the deception, probably. And Harmon loved it. He likely had an egotistical need to control and manipulate and bask in the notoriety of being better than another killer at killing. Harmon insisted Hans Granz was in on it and that he even helped with some of them. Hans Granz was arrested a month later as an accessory. Hey, you'll love this! Uh, police are really confused as to why he would do all this, murder, rape, and eviscerate 24 minors. You think maybe we should check out what's going on with his brain? Yeah, let's get him down for another psych eval. But he hates institutions, though. Good. 
That's awesome, because fuck him. Since he confessed, though, they said that he was sane enough to stand trial. Can't forget about the July moment. I swear I'm not doing it on purpose. July 1924, Fritz is charged with the murder of 27 young men and boys. The headlines for this. Trial of Fritz Harman, wholesale slayer, has stirred all Germany. That's a cool newspaper headline. They were also the ones who dubbed him the Vampire Butcher of Hanover, the Werewolf of Hanover. All of the nicknames come from the newspapers, I think. They also had to get some extra cops put on duty at the courthouse to control the crowds, and Harmon loved all the attention that was there, too. So this was a crazy trial. It was open to public at first, but it ended up getting closed down after two days because it was just too much going on. Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harmon pled guilty to 14 of the 27 murders. Said he couldn't remember 13 of them. It was very dismissive when shown photos and just barely even look at them. Said, I don't know. I don't remember if I did those, but I don't really care. Go ahead and charge me. Whatever. Don't matter. Harmon was relaxed during the trial, smoked cigars, made jokes. He also said there were too many women in the court and that they have to be removed. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? You want us to do what? Can you please remove the women? Speak up, bitch! I can't hear you! They obviously didn't honor that request, because that's ridiculous. The jury's fascinated by his casual, aloof manner, too. He even made him laugh one day. Somehow left a positive impact. One of the medical experts yawned during his testimony, and Fritz asked if he was okay to go on. Are you okay to go on? Don't make jokes on the stand. You're a monster. But why? Why? I've been asking myself this all week. Why? Why did he do this? Fritz wanted to be someone who acted in the heat of the passion and not as malicious. Cool motive, still murder, don't care. He denied committing the premeditated murders and played up the effort to suppress his urges and his being helpful when he paid the runaways and fed them. He's trying to mitigate himself, and it doesn't really work very well. He also never said that he ripped throats out to avoid a cannibalism charge, which I didn't know that was something you could be charged with. That I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I guess I never thought about it before now. He ends up being charged with 24 out of the 27 murders, and the trial only lasts about two weeks. The courts excluded three murders that he denied doing because he either blamed Hans Kranz or whatever he said contradicted his own narrative. And his willingness to admit made him seem credible on the denial, but it didn't really matter anyway, because either way, you're going to die. They sentence him to death. Get the fuck out of my court. Why don't you go hang out over by the guillotine until we're ready for you? Go away. And those three that he didn't confess to were pretty crucial to Hans Kranz because he was being tried at the same time. In Hans Kranz's trial, though, he was erratic. He was not doing good. He was insane in the membrane. He was just static, erratic, crazy, nonsensical, very anxious, very anxious. He denied any involvement and showed no other emotion other than anxiety. Both of them would be sentenced to beheading. Fritz remained calm. Grantz, Hans Grantz was hysterical. That was the word I was trying to fumble around and find earlier. Four months later, Fritz approaches the guillotine. Guillotine. Is it guillotine or guillotine? I'm going to say guillotine. It's easier for me to say. Four months later, Fritz approaches the guillotine on April 15th, 1925. No last meal this week, but I do have some last words for you. He says... I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. I repent, but I do not fear death. And then after that, his brain was dissected after he died, and holy shit, look at all this meningitis everywhere. 
Meningitis is an inflammation of the membrane around your brain and spinal cord. Can inflame the brain sometimes too. Could also explain the blackouts during his stint in the military. Swelling caused by meningitis can lead to decreased levels of consciousness. CDC says that viral meningitis usually resolves without treatment, but long-lasting effects on the brain will and can persist. So likely this all got started sometime around the first time he went into the army. After that, they did not preserve his brain, but his head was put in formaldehyde and on display from 1925 to 1924 until it was cremated. And the night before his execution, he wrote a letter retracting statements about Hans Grantz's involvement, so that means Hans Grantz gets a new trial. Hooray! Don't worry, though. He's not getting off too much easier. Hans Grantz is charged with aiding and abetting for two of the murders that he was implicated in, and he was convicted again but spared the death sentence. He served 12 years until 1939, and we know what happened in September of that year. No, Hans Grantz didn't get it off easy at all. In fact, he probably had it way worse than Fritz, like fucking super way worse. They ended up shipping him over to Sachsenhausen, which was a concentration camp. He survived, though, and he returned to Hanover after World War II and lived until 1975, where he died at the age of 74. Now I've got a little bit of the psychology stuff for you right here. Throughout this story today, we witnessed a lot of shame, frustration, rage, and anger. Delinquent behavior can be reduced by placing someone in a goal-oriented environment. We've talked about that a lot many times on this show. The problem is that many times whatever the institution is doesn't really do much to actually rehabilitate prisoners for life back on the outside, so recidivism rates tend to vary greatly from person to person. And perhaps worse, shame is often at times a trigger for angry outbursts. When we harbor shame, we tend to become defensive with feedback and criticism. It's also not uncommon for serial killers to experience themselves in self-states as different splits for their emotions, and the two hardest ones to differentiate are anger and guilt. It's really hard to tell apart further when he's constantly being made to feel guilty for doing literally anything. And I can hear the wheels grinding in your head right now. Yeah, this show is called My Second Self and I. I pretend that we're two different people. But the difference is that we're all in on the joke, and I like to make more jokes about the fact that it's a joke, and we all know it's just me trying to be entertaining. We're trying something here. That's the Butcher of Hanover, everybody. Holy shit, what a roller coaster. Hope everybody enjoyed that one today. That's one of the most gruesome stories I've read about lately, so I thought it might be a really good way to close out the month of October. If you laughed today, then you owe me a new review. If you haven't already done that already, Log on to iTunes or Apple or whatever thing you listen on you can review the show on. That helps me out a lot for some reason. But also don't forget, I made a promise and I intend to deliver. If you've been following along on the Facebook page, you already know what to look out for tomorrow. That's right, I'm doing a bonus episode for you tomorrow on Halloween night. We're going to talk about The Candyman. Dean Coral, The Candyman, was the worst serial killer in Houston's history and at the time, also the most prolific. You don't want to miss that one tomorrow. So I'll see you then, everybody. Happy Halloween, and stay kind.